Chapter Twenty Three of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three. Once and again. Maria walked to that side window out of which she and Tom had looked but a few minutes before, and it seemed to her that the world must have changed a good deal in that time. Such a surprise had come into her life. There remained that queer feeling in her throat, as of one who was choking back tears, though why should she cry? She heard the steady murmur of voices in the bedroom. It was an earnest conference. She had doubted the wisdom of exciting her father with such an astounding revelation. She had even taken time to wonder what Grace would say to their consistency when her poor little affair had to be so carefully guarded from troubling him but there was nothing else that it seemed possible to do. This was altogether different from two simpletons like Grace and Alfred Parks playing at grown-upness. These were man and woman, each with years and dignity enough to decide questions for themselves. Having decided, it was the father's blessing that they sought now. Maria could not doubt that they would get it, she knew that it would be a joy to her father's heart to have the family represented in such work as the home mission cause afforded. But what a queer representative! This thought almost caused a reaction. It certainly had its ludicrous side to think of Helen Monroe in such a position. Tom came somewhat hurriedly across the street and entered the side door. "'Why, I thought Mr. Leonard was here,' he said, looking about him in surprise. He is, said Maria, briefly, and she nodded her head toward the bedroom. A private conference, Tom. Ah, he said, I expected that. One would have supposed you might have given me a slight hint, then, at least of the existence of such a person. And Maria looked dignified. My dear Maria, there was nothing for me to hint. I was just suspicious, without having any reasonable ground for being so. I had a presentiment, perhaps some would call it, but it wouldn't have looked well for me to have told you so. I wonder when the conference will be ended. I am not sure, but I ought to intrude. There is a man waiting to see Mr. Leonard, and the business is urgent. Tom, isn't it the queerest thing that ever happened? What, this? I think it is the best thing that has happened to the Randolph family yet whereupon Tom crossed to the bedroom door, and without further ceremony knocked. A half-dozen words exchanged with Mr. Leonard, and that gentleman made hurried adieus and left in his company. Helen lingered a little with her father, the door still shut. When she came out, there were traces of tears on her face, but her eyes were smiling. Maria seemed glued to that window-seat. Helen went over to her. "'Were you very much surprised?' she asked, speaking gently. Surprise is no name for it. I don't think I would have been much more bewildered if he had come after me. Helen laughed. In many respects it would have been a much better thing for him to do, she said. But, for the comfort of the entire Randolph family, we rejoice that he did not. Why, it does not follow that I would have rushed out there after a home missionary life at the first opportunity. I don't think I am fitted for such a place, and, for the matter of that, I don't think you are. Now the Helen of Maria's acquaintance, heretofore, would have bridled at this, and strongly hinted that she, Maria, was not the proper person to judge of one's fitness for places, and that it made very little difference to any one what she thought. 
Maria knew this, and expected something in that line. But she felt most unusually severe, in proportion as her heart had been touched, and trembled under the shadow of coming changes, did her resolute will resist this invasion of feeling, and resort to positive roughness to hide its softness. Helen remained beside her, keeping silence for two or three minutes, then she said, I do not wonder at that remark, Maria. I have been at work all my life, proving to you my unfitness for any place of trust. No one certainly can feel less qualified than I in many respects feel myself to be. But there is one thing which I ought to tell you. In some degree I am different from what I was a few weeks ago. I hardly know what to call it. I do not try to name it. But for the first time in my life I am sure I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I long to show my love by anything that I can do. I did not seek for this thing. I did not hope for it. I did not dream of it. I simply prayed to be shown the way in which to walk, to be led as a child, and God seemed to send to me this answer. How much I thank him for such an answer, I cannot explain even to you. And then this reserved, oftentimes haughty woman, stooped and kissed her youngest sister as she stood there, sticking a pin as far into the window seat as it could be forced to go. Then she went away upstairs to the privacy of her own room, and Maria stood still and worked at that pin. The excitement in no wise lessened, the bewilderment greatly deepened by this latest development. Only this feeling was strong and clear in the midst of all the whirl of conflicting and excited thought. There is a power beyond anything that has ever touched my life, beyond anything that I have ever imagined. The power that could make Helen Monroe acknowledge anything that should be humbling to her pride was a power that her sister Maria did not understand, and that she felt compelled to respect. After she had buried that pin in the wood so deeply that no amount of digging could bring it out, she set about getting dinner as usual. Yet it was not as usual. The shadow of a surprising change had fallen over the family. She felt it, and could not rid herself of it, even as she walked to and fro in that room, looking in every respect as it had looked for so long. The something which she had craved, no matter what, but an hour before, had come to her with a vengeance. There was no more need to mourn over not enough to do. The new plans brought a great influx of work, and not only work, but responsibility. A dozen times a day, during the next few weeks, did Maria have occasion to contrast the lives of the two persons, Helen Randolph and Helen Monroe, under like circumstances, and be filled with amazement over the latter? Helen, she said, aren't you going to get a new silk? Dear me, no, how could I? And what should I need of one if I could? I'm going to live in a log cabin for the next few years. But what will you be married in? Oh, why, my traveling dress. What is that to be? I don't know, I am sure. I haven't thought. Alpaca of some sort, I guess, or empress cloth. Alpaca? And Maria stood aghast. How would Helen Randolph have looked in an alpaca? It really became bewildering as a new experience. She had to learn how to fight Helen to have things, instead of combating her expensive tastes. This seemed the more strange, since Ermina, in her long, long letter of congratulation, had enclosed a bank check as a wedding gift that stood for any amount of finery, 
and hinted that such was its intended use. Helen and Maria had changed places. Maria was intent on sustaining the Randolph honor, and Helen was engaged in saying, "'What's the use? I really shall not need anything of the kind.' The same bewilderments occurred over the wedding arrangements. "'Where will we set the table?' Maria said. "'In the back parlor, or just leave it in the dining-room?' "'When?' "'When? Why, when the day comes. Helen, what is the matter with you?' "'Well,' says Helen, laughing, "'I should say, let's have breakfast in the dining-room, just as usual.' "'And what shall we have?' Oh, I don't know. Beef steak and griddle cakes, I guess. I must learn how to make your kind of griddle cakes. Mr. Leonard says they are better than Westerners get. Helen Monroe! Maria exclaims, and she drops the skirt she is basting and looks the picture of despair. Who ever heard of beef steak and griddle cakes for a wedding breakfast? Oh, a wedding breakfast, repeats Helen, as if that were an entirely new idea. Why, Maria, it need not be different from any other breakfast that I see. Tom will be the only one besides the Harpers. Don't you mean to have any company at all? Oh, dear, no. Whom could I have? Father is too feeble for company, you know. Besides, I really don't think of anybody that I want. I'll tell you, Maria, fix it just exactly as you think it ought to be. Then I shall know they are all right." You know more about things than ever I shall, I am afraid. I am only particular about this one thing, that you shall give yourself as little work and as little anxiety, and spend as little on me as possible, for I honestly don't think any of these things are worth the trouble. If I were going to Washington or Boston, or some of those cities to live, and had a reputation to sustain, it would be different." but I am just to be nobody but a missionary's wife, you know, and live in the backwoods. Whereupon Helen would fold up her work, looking serenely happy the while, and set off for a tramp into the West End with Mr. Leonard. "'Going down in the very scum to practice,' Maria would say, with a turned-up nose. "'I should think they might wait until they got out west.' For the West End of that little city was another name for five points, or some of those well-known resorts. And yet Maria, looking after them both, was proud with a pride that no sight of Helen in her silken robes, and poor Horace Monroe in his lavender kids, had ever awakened. Mr. Leonard had brought his western habits with him, and wore no gloves at all. All anxiety in regard to the effect of such unusual excitement on the invalid was quieted by his evident satisfaction in and enjoyment of his prospective son-in-law. Mr. Randolph's own very early life had been spent in the West, and the family were intimately connected with the home mission work in its earlier days. Old memories, therefore, were revived, and the green spot in his heart blossomed and glowed under the thought that the Randolph blood would flow again in the old channel." Despite all bewilderments as to plans, preparations for the coming event went swiftly forward. The days went forward rapidly, too, and brought them presently to the very breakfast over which Maria had done much needless worrying, for it transpired that Tom finally took the matter in hand, and a strong force from the Randolph house came over to do everything in perfection, Tom declaring that the care of the father and the bride were as much as Maria's nerves ought to manage. 
so though there were almost no guests peter armstrong only being invited in token of his former place in the family and dick norton being added for no other reason than because it suited maria's fancy to include him the breakfast was as dainty and tasteful in all its details as though the guests had been numerous also maria had done some worrying over grace coming home so soon and mingling again with the obnoxious alfred that too being needless as it transpired for mr harper came alone ermina was not quite well and grace thought it not wise to leave her alone as she was very anxious that he should attend maria heard and mused as to whether ermina had considerately sickened at this opportune time in order to arrange this convenient and satisfactory programme mr harper brought their love and remembrance in the shape of a trunk full of most satisfactory things chosen mr leonard said with as much wisdom as though they had been the granddaughters of pioneer missionaries and mr randolph answered with pride they are to maria came a little private note from grace containing these only these words much underscored dear maria won't you please invite alfred to the wedding for my sake please do that's a dear sister gracie over this note maria gloomed and scolded and finally settled down into the serene conviction that for once everything was going nicely for it transpired that the said alfred considerately took himself off on a vacation tour and did not return in time to be either invited or slighted so on this morning when maria having no coffee to manage and no mrs dixon to watch as there was in helen randolph's time suddenly remembered that she and grace paid a last visit to helen that other time and had a farewell talk though there was no grace to go with her she decided to go alone helen was dressed and standing by the window looking out already asked maria and helen turned toward her there were traces of tears in her eyes i have been saying good-bye to mother's grave she said graves seem to me hard things to leave people who are alive and from whom i can hear and to whom i can write long letters are different but some way one holds on to graves and wants to be near them straightway maria thought of horace's grave and wondered if that was remembered by the widow who was almost a bride it did not seem to be the thing to ask but helen as if in answer to her thoughts suddenly added some graves are very hard to think about there has been one very bitter spot in my life that however much joy may come to me in the future i can never forget if i had been a different woman horace's grave might have been bright with the light of resurrection think of that oh maria i hope you will never have to look on any grave and feel that thought the tears were flowing freely now come said maria not knowing what to say i wouldn't cry you will look like a fright what will mr leonard think he'll know that there were no tears shed about him helen said quickly and her eyes flashed with a sudden brightness altogether it was in striking contrast with that other call maria felt the difference and respected it life was changed and circumstances were changed and yes helen was changed by something besides time and circumstances some great motive power had come into her life and lifted her up it had been so with ermina 
it had been so with tom i am left at the bottom she said to herself with that queer choking feeling in her throat again and yet she would stay at the bottom wasn't she a strange girl end of chapter twenty three